0: Welcome back to Hitchcock Chronologically, the podcast where I, Jeff, go through every single one of Alfred Hitchcock's movies in the order they were released. And uh, I think we're hitting a stride here. We got one that it's not bad. It's not great, but it's the man who knew too much. Now, this is the first time we're going to talk about this one. And I say that because this one was remade by Alfred Hitchcock himself. Uh, This one was filmed in 1934 and uh, several years later up in the fifties, Alfred Hitchcock's going to remake this movie again with uh, Jimmy Stewart. And uh, that might set the tone for what he thinks of this movie. And the bulk of this movie is actually kind of good. It does break down a near the end, but for the most part, this is fine. It's, you know, like compared to some of the other things I've watched. Hey, I'll take this all day. Uh, our plot revolves around this couple who's on vacation in Switzerland. But everybody has, now I'm not a geography major, okay? I don't know. But everybody has weird accents in Switzerland. Some of them are like Italian. And then some of them are German. And then, of course, we have our English cast as well. So I don't know if they're just putting on accents and they don't really know, but one of them's like super Italian. And then later on, there's one that's definitely German. So we start the film meeting the Lawrence's, Bob and Jill Lawrence, who are on vacation with their daughter Betty. And they are in Switzerland. And they run upon, uh, they see each other and they talk. I don't know what I'm saying. Okay, let me start that over. There, Okay, so Bob and Betsy, this is starting off poorly. Let's back it up. You know what, let's keep going forward. Bob and Betsy are married and they're, no, they're not. Betsy's the daughter, okay? And Betsy and Bob, they go to see his wife, Jill, who is shooting clay pigeons uh, out behind this lodge uh, with this other guy. I think his name's Ramon. I don't really know. He doesn't play like he does actually play a big part. Hold on. Yeah. So she's shooting clay pigeons with this dude named Ramon and Ramon goes, excuse me, uh, be, uh, Jill's going first and her daughter like pulls on her tat, her clothes and makes noise while she's shooting and she misses her shot. Then this guy Ramon goes and he shoots and hits his clay pigeon. Uh, this is going to come into play later. This isn't actually meaningless, dumb stuff like in some of the movies that I've seen where they just shoot whatever and throw it in the film. I should mention this movie is a, uh hour 16, which again, uh, that's right in my wheelhouse. Keep that up, Mr. Hitchcock. Um, after the shootout. She starts taking off with some dude, okay? And not not an old dude like most of the women in these movies do. A young, good-looking guy. And she starts dancing and flirting with this guy right in front of Bob. And Bob just plays it off like it's cool. He's fine with it. I don't get it. Like, he's making jokes about it. I guess he's that secure and he knows that she's like this flirt or something. And they dance and they even like ridicule Bob right in front of his face while she's dancing with him and he just takes it in stride it doesn't matter to him he doesn't care maybe they're swingers that's probably what it is and they have an open relationship I'm just inferring this from watching the movie he at no point uh, Bob at no point flirts with any women outside of his wife so maybe it's a one way open relationship kind of like a cul-de-sac does that make sense? So this dude that she's dancing with, there's a shot. A it, 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 bullet flies through one of the windows and shoots the guy she's dancing with. As he's dying, he tells, his, he tells Jill, go into my room. There's a brush. Inside that brush is a note. Go get it. Okay? Jill relays this to Bob. Bob goes up to the apartment, finds this note. And outside is... Ramon, who was, again, that guy that shot the clay pigeon. And he starts making threatening advances, I guess. fancy sound weird on Bob. But Bob runs into the hotel director who takes him downstairs to meet with the commissioner or something about. They're like basically doing police interviews because now this guy's been shot on site. And when he gets in there, his wife is already talking and being interrogated. And so he's like, hey, man, I want to talk to my wife. Let me in there. And the manager's like, nah, you can't. So when this happens, he starts asking this officer dude who's German for direction, like questions, okay? And he starts doing, like, have you ever, like, when this is, I hope this isn't offensive. I apologize. But you know, when people do like Italian accents, they go, eh, hey, basta, ah. Uh, they just add "ah" at the end. Well, the guy that Bob is talking to is German, and he starts doing this to him, like I guess you would for a German. Oh, excuse me. Do you, um, can you tell me if the British consul is in town today? Ich verstehe nicht. No, do you don't, um, can you the British, the British consul, you know the man who comes at passports? Is he is he here? Here. Yeah, ja, is he here? No, no, I don't mean is he here, a man. I mean, is he is he here? Here, nein. <laughs> uh, listen, is, is is he here in Samoritz? Look, the British, the consul, is it? Is he at E.C. aujourd'hui? Is it? Oh damn! So that guy was no help. Now, right after this conversation, like a bellhop or someone who's who works at the hotel delivers a letter to Bob. And the letter says, keep quiet or you'll never see your daughter again. He barges into the room where his wife is and hands her this note. So they then clam up. They're no longer, you know, uh, working with authorities. Now, remember, Bob has already found this evidence in this guy's room who got shot and has now been hiding it from the, the authorities. And they're doing that because they don't want their daughter to get hurt because she's been kidnapped. Now what, uh, so we cut to like a while later, like months, even it feels like, uh, and they still haven't seen their daughter, I guess, but they're having a casual conversation with a bunch of people and they're keeping it secret that their daughter's even missing or kidnapped. Well, like this police guy, or I think they call him a foreign counselor or something. He's in this in their house and he's having a conversation with them. And it basically outlines the whole plot. Essentially, the guy that got killed had information on an attempted assassination of some sort of bureaucrat. And that information was hidden inside this like shaving brush that Bob found the note. So... They, again, are, don't want to work with this guy because, hey, we don't want him to get, you know, we don't want our daughter to get hurt. And this counselor guy is trying to talk him into working. And when they do, they get a phone call from a woman saying, hey, don't cooperate with him or we'll kill your daughter. And he's like, yeah, what, you know, and they're like, well, would you like to talk to your daughter? So their daughter gets on the phone with pops and his mom or her mom and that basically establishes yes she's alive this threat is real we're not going to cooperate all right well after they hang up that call this guy this police officer guy says okay they call the operator and trace it to some other town i don't know exactly well after this police guy leaves there is Bob and a guy they call Uncle Clive, who could be an uncle, I don't know. But there's a scene where Jill is talking to him and they're playing with some of Betsy's old toys. And essentially, I think he's like even a butler because this guy gets treated like trash. Nobody cares about Clive despite him being loyal. And I'll tell you why I know this. Because they go to this city that they trace the call back to And it ends up, I guess the note he has found from that brush leads them to a dentist's office. And in order to uh, infiltrate the dentist's office, he has Clive say he's got a toothache. And Clive goes into the dentist's office with this like evil-looking dentist in an evil-looking lair. And the guy literally pulls one of Clive's teeth out for no reason at all. And Bob doesn't care. Bob thinks it's great. Well, they don't get any information. So Bob says, well, you got to look at my teeth too. When he's in the chair getting his teeth looked at, he starts to, the the dentist guy starts to suspect Clive. Well, while they're kind of having their interaction in this dentist chair, there's this guy who was at the original party where the sniping took place that comes in and walks into the back. And then there's another guy that comes in later and they have a meeting while the dentist is doing his work. Just before this, though, our main man, Bob, incapacitates the dentist with like laughing gas. Now, I don't know how the gas worked back in the 30s. okay? but the laughing gas at these dentist places don't actually knock you out. In order to be all the way knocked out, you have to get anesthesia anesthesia anesthesiologist. Whatever, but it, but he's able to use it to KO the dentist and incapacitate him. And then he puts on the dentist robe and his glasses and pretends to be the dentist while these two mobster guys are talking to each other. One of these mobster guys is ugly and he's got a huge scar. He's played by a guy named Peter Lorre. I want to say it's either Lore or Lori L O R R E. And this guy steals all the scenes because his. his he's kind of this sleazy mob leader. He doesn't really care about much. And like, it's just the, the way he's portrayed is excellent. Uh, he's steals every scene he's in, even when the dialogue isn't great, because there's times he's handed some really rough, pretty rough stuff to work with that. He tries to turn into gold. So after overhearing some information from these two about something going down tonight, and he's again, the whole point, Bob's here. He's trying to find his daughter. They essentially, he overhears some sort of clue. And along with, again, that note he found in the brush, they come upon a church for some sun worshipers, basically a cult. Okay. And they go in and they're having church service at the time. Remember, this is Bob and Clive going to church and they're singing like a, the church is singing like a hymn or one of their songs. And in order to talk to (laughs) Clive, without getting any sort of attention turned on himself, he he sings instructions to Clive, and Clive reciprocates. Clive, Clive, Clive. Trouble coming soon because the woman in, that they're talking about in that scene is like the pastor of this church. Okay. So she gets up front. Remember this is a cult and they're meeting in like some sort of real dump here. And she starts talking about people being in the fourth and fifth circle. And Hey, do we have any newcomers? And is there anyone willing to go through this sort of ceremony if you're new, you can't stay here to hear the message because you have to go through the ceremony to enter the fourth circle. That sounds like demon worship. And she asks, is anybody willing to do this? And she says, how about you, sir? And what do you know, Bob, not already having Clive get a tooth removed for no reason at all, volunteers Clive to go up front and get sacrificed to Satan. So she starts to hypnotize this guy. Uh, Clive, and when this happens, the guy with the scar, Peter Laurie, shows up. His name in the movie is Abbott. He starts to give uh, a warning to Mr. Uh, Bob, you know, like Lord over him. And there's actually the interactions between Bob and Abbott are some of the best things in this movie because Bob has a very, um, and the only thing I could compare it to is from which. It's a movie we'll get to, North by Northwest. Cary Grant has a very laissez-faire attitude, even though everything around him is bad. Uh, And Bob kind of has the same cockiness about him, even though he's in the middle of a cult and this guy has a gun on him. And, oh, I forgot to tell you. So while Clive is being hypnotized, the pastor lady says, everyone else needs to leave. And instead of sticking by Clive, Bob tries to leave. He tries to leave Clive at this cult while he's unconscious because he's been hypnotized. And the only reason he stays is because someone holds him at gunpoint. What a guy. Anyway, well, Clive, this lady comes in the room and Clive says, how's my daughter doing? And she lets it slip that her daughter is actually in this church. There's like a building on top of the church where pretty much the rest of this movie is going to happen. They kind of overhear that the assassination is going to take, it, take place at Albert Hall, where there's a concert happening. And at a particular point in one of the songs where there's a loud bang or a thrum, just like a, a rise of noise, the sniper is going to take the shot. Now, our sniper is Mr. Ramon, if you remember, who was shooting clay pigeons along with Jill. So it's kind of pre-set up that he's this ace shot. Now, and I'm taking it that since he was also on site at the assassination, he's the one who actually pulled the trigger on the the guy who was dancing with Jill and set this whole thing in motion. Somehow, uh, um, he gets... Oh, yeah, there's a point, too, where Clive gets arrested. It's hilarious. Clive is a stand-up guy. He gets pooed on this whole movie. But anyway... Clive is able to relay a message to Jill to be at the Albert Hall for this assassination. Now, she doesn't talk to the police. I don't know what she's thinking. She just goes on her own anyway to this concert. And what was I going to say? Oh, gosh, I'm forgetting so much. This is what happens when I don't take notes, but that's okay. All right, I like it better when I don't take notes. Let's back up just a touch here. So while, remember, we're backing up to the after... Clive's been hypnotized and they're in this church foyer or wherever. I can't think of the word sanctuary. And remember he's like, Bob's at gunpoint. And so he just starts lobbing chairs at the bad guys and the bad guys start lobbing chairs back. And there's this huge chair fight. It's great. It's like WWE in a movie. It's awesome. Cause chairs are shattering and breaking everywhere. Um, it's, one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Anyway, I had to tell you that because it was just bananas. Where were we? Uh, Yeah, so Clive gets the warning out. Jill goes to the concert. And while she's there, she's looking around for this sniper or anything suspicious. And she sees some things and she starts to realize when the bullet's going to go off. Now, a warning has been placed to Jill. If you decide... Because, okay, Ramon is at the front when Jill comes in for the concert and he gives her a note, basically, don't stop this assassination from happening or your daughter and now your husband will be dead. So she gets this conundrum now that she's stuck in watching this concert. Does she keep quiet and save her family or does she save this guy and her family dies? Now. That's that's Nice conundrum, you know, you gotta do what's right, but either way there's blood on your hands, so you might as well just save your family. Well, she decides as right before the shot takes place, she screams and the target kind of moves a little bit, and he falls over. So you assume he's dead. Turns out he's not. So Ramon gets back to the mob boss's room and uh this plays on the radio. We have to apologize to listeners for the delay which has occurred in the broadcast of the concert from the Albert Hall. An attempt has been made to assassinate the distinguished European diplomat, Monsieur Roper, who is attending the concert. Attempt? We are happy to say, however, that the shot fired merely caused a slight flesh wound in Monsieur Roper's shoulder, and he has been able to return home. We are now taking listeners back to the Albert Hall for the rest of the concert which has already started. So get this! Okay, there's been an assassination attempt at a concert where some diplomat was almost killed and they go back to finish the concert. What a boss! What a the bravest orchestra in history, okay? They went back in, the show must go on, we're finishing this concert. So once, now, this is basically where all the good stuff ends. Okay. Cause up until this point, I was thoroughly entertained the chair fight. The movie's actually kind of funny. Like I said, Bob has that laissez-faire attitude and there's this great back and forth between him and Abbott. And it's really entertaining. And the guy playing Abbott, Peter, uh, Peter, what is his name? I don't remember what I said, but the guy playing Abbott, he's super entertaining. The, uh, the guy playing Ramon is entertaining that he gets back after failing to assassinate someone and they're all looking at him and he just does a great job playing up the "oh, I messed up big time. It's great. Now you would think as we're about to head into what is a shootout, basically uh, Betsy follows Ramon or has the police follow Ramon back to the hideout. So they know where the bad guys are who attempted this assassination attempt at a concert that is now restarted and is continuing they all are getting ready for a shootout okay Abbott and his crew are up in the building getting ready to load their guns and all that and downstairs you've got police outside now one of the police officers I guess the police chief he does this looks like an all-night job to me Baker listen Baker I want you to go across to their front door and knock. Once that door's open, see that it stays open till we get across. Do you understand? Yes, sir. So, poor Officer Baker, following the lead of the most inept police chief of all time, okay? You know. Inside is a guy who just attempted assassinating someone. You know, inside, these people are armed. So you're going to send Officer Baker to the front door and your big idea is to knock and have him keep the door open till everyone can get across? Are you an idiot? This scene blows my mind. Oh, Lord. So now, okay, they're like, a huge shootout starts, okay? And this is the most boring, the worst shootout in cinema history, okay? It just goes on and on, and it's just basically a bunch of random scenes thrown together while you hear gunshots going off in the background. It's not great. But while this stuff is happening, Bob has snuck out. Now now your mobsters are kind of at least preoccupied with shooting the police. And so... Bob uses this opportunity to get out of the room he's in and go find Betsy. Once they found Betsy. Now, during this time, there's a lot of people getting shot and killed, including Ramon. He gets shot. Uh, uh, the the woman who uh, is the, the cult leader, she gets shot and killed along with a couple other people. But still alive is uh, Abbott. But anyway, so they Bob starts to try to escape. And. He actually gets, cha- oh, okay, I'm jumping up a little bit ahead. Ramon's still alive at this point. He is trying, to, Bob is trying to escape. He starts sending his daughter up the ladder to the roof for some reason. Why not go out the front door? I don't know. But he starts putting her on the roof through this, like, cubby hole in the ceiling. And while he's getting her up there, Bob gets shot by Abbott and falls off the stairs. Not Abbott. Excuse me. Ramon. Ramon follows Betsy up to the roof and the police are outside and the the terrible police chief is like can you shoot him down (laughs) well he says I don't want to hit the girl but not to worry Jill's here and Jill grabs the gun and shoots Ramon off the building who falls to his death this that is the foreshadowing that was at the beginning of the movie where they there's a point in that scene after the initial clay shoot clay pigeon shooting, where she's like, I'd like to have another chance, uh, with to, sh- to shoot with you. And that's sort of the foreshadowing that she's going to kill him later on in the movie. It's actually kind of well done in my opinion. Uh, so now that's pretty much everybody, but Abbott's dead, the police go into the building, uh, they think that Abbott is hiding behind a door like a kid would do. You know how you open a door to a room, you can get behind it, and if the door's open, no one can see you. Well, instead of checking behind the door, they just open fire on the door and they kill Abbott. Uh, Then Jill and Bob and Betty are all reunited and it's the end of the movie. So, I would say this movie was pretty good until you get to the third act. Once the gu- you would think the shootout would be the most interesting part of the movie, but it's not. It's the chair fight in the middle where they're throwing chairs at each other. That's hilarious. The way that poor Clive gets mistreated is hilarious. The acting is pretty good. I think that Bob is charismatic uh hero. He's not the best hero, but he is charismatic and he has this cocky knowingness to him the, the same way that uh, he is sort of the righteous cocky knowingness and then the evil cocky knowingness being Abbott. They play off each other real well. Now, I can see why Hitchcock, uh, you know, looks back on this movie and says, I'm remaking this because the most exciting part's supposed to be the shootout at the end. He's supposedly the master of suspense, and it's boring, okay? Like the last 20 minutes or so of this movie, nah, I don't think it's 20 minutes, maybe 10 15, kind of slows way down, even though it's a shootout and you would should consider that speeding up, but you don't see a lot of shooting like I, I don't it's not thrilling in any way. It's the worst gunfight I've ever seen in a movie. That being said, I don't regret watching it. It's not as good as the last couple movies, and I don't even remember what I said. Number seventeen is my favorite right now, and it still is. Okay, uh, this was I I I I I'm huffing like that as if uh, you know I've just watched a terrible movie. I haven't. Okay, this was fine. If it were on TV and it weren't near the end, I would probably sit and watch at least the chair fight again. Uh, well, so now we're going to start getting into a couple of these. Well, I guess the man who knew too much was another early hit. I don't really know how this stuff did in the box office, but the next up is the 39 steps. Now this is one that I believe is a, a, one of the well-loved lesser known Hitchcock hits. And I, I, I'm looking forward to watching it. Uh, if you're interested, it is on Prime Video right as of this recording. Now I'm banking my episodes again, so who knows by the time you listen to this if it's available. But uh, so this is released in 1935, so uh, join me for that. We're moving on. I think we're, we've we hit a, an upswing. Like, I think maybe we're getting away from the really bad, tough ones to get through and are just getting into... Okay, that's that's decent. Like, they've been decent the last three. Uh, none of the masterpieces, but better. So, I'll see you next time. This is Hitchcock Chronologically.